Thank you, preacher. You can be finding 1 Samuel 25, and we'll read a couple of verses from that in just a minute. But while you're finding that, let me just say one final time, thank you, preacher, for the invitation and for having the meeting. And, and uh, thank you to Bible Baptist Church. There is a mountain of work that goes on behind the scenes and people working during the service that aren't even in here to make it possible to have this. And I so appreciate it and appreciate all of the kindness and hospitality and generosity. And it's really over the top, to be honest with you. It's overboard. And I'm, I'm just grateful for it. I, I love Brother Gravely. I love his spirit. And, and the Lord just kind of connected us, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. And we just have such a kindred spirit, I feel like. And I, I love this preacher. And I love, I love how the Lord is using him. And love this meeting. And love coming here. And I, I told him a little while ago, and I, I really mean this, I would love to be able to come one year and just sit, not be on the docket or anything, and just sit and just enjoy the meeting and not have the pressure of, you know, who you're going after and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I, 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 just, I just enjoy being here. And, I, and, and let me say this as well. I appreciate what the Lord did with us for us last night in the service. It was all of the Lord. And, you know, the thing about it is, is we couldn't have came in last night and tried to manufacture that to save our life. It wouldn't have worked. And you can't come in tonight and try to duplicate it. You can't come in tonight and say, hey, let's do that same thing. It don't, it don't work that way. And I've been to meetings where the Lord, where, where we've tried or, or they have tried to manipulate the Holy Spirit. But the thing about it is the Lord may want to do something different tonight. What we needed last night might not be what we need tonight. And when you try to manufacture something, then you miss out what the Lord wanted to do. And I, I, I don't care if we're shouting or crying loud or quiet. I just want the Lord to show up. That's really what I want. And he sure showed up last night. And I've enjoyed it. I want to thank all of these preachers that have been here. And uh, you have blessed my heart. I, I don't believe that I have, I, I have enjoyed every single message, all 72 of them. I have enjoyed every one of them. And I love these preachers. And um, I, I admire them. And, and, and I... And I know I, I, I don't feel worthy. Um, I don't I don't feel worthy to, to stand with these men. And I and I know everybody says that I actually mean it. I really I really don't. Um, some of my heroes are here, and um, I listen to you preach. I, I download your sermons, and and you've blessed my heart. And thank you so much. And I want to, I'm so grateful that I had some of my guys be able to come and be in the meeting with me this week. And they, they've been such a blessing. Um, they came to see girls not preaching, but, you know. And I will tell you that about 10 minutes after the service, I'm going home. So if you're going to talk to a girl, you're bigger on the balls, what you better do. But it's just been, it's been great. And I'm going to say just a little bit tonight. I, I don't even have an outline. I'm going to give you a thought. And the beauty of preaching before Brian McBride is it don't matter what I do, when he gets up, you ain't going to remember it anyway. And so that's, that is my consolation, my consolation. 1 Samuel 25 and verse 1, Samuel died. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon, whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great. 
He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers, now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand, unto thy servants, and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword that went up after David about 400 men and 200 men abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail. In verse number three, we're given a glimpse into a home of many years ago. And we really don't need to know anything else than what we are told. We are spared the messy details, but it's enough for us to know that there was no heaven in that home. You might not would have known it from a distant look, but the closer that you got to the family, you could tell that something was amiss. You could see it in the painful countenance of the wife, the fear in the eyes of the children, the tiring of the service before a bully master. And isn't it true that you can never know what goes on behind the closed doors of a private home? In fact, even in the homes that are represented here tonight, You'd never know the man with a secret pornography addiction or the wife who has discovered it and she's living in fear of how it's going to destroy everything in their marriage and their home. You never know the misery and the unhappiness that a man has to live with from having married a woman who is more like Jezebel than Jesus. You never know the fear and shame that a woman has to endure from an abusive husband. The ridicule, the scorn that a child has to put up with from a father who looks on him as a nuisance. And if there is any peace and any love and security and serenity in your home, you ought to thank God. Because there is none of it in this home. In this home, there is a man named Nabal. The Bible describes him as churlish and evil in his doings. 
The word churlish is to be rude or sullen or rough in temper or uncivil. And Nabal had a good woman, but he didn't know how to treat her. He ruled her life with selfish demands and he called her names and he treated her like a servant. The culture and the custom of that day told him that he was the king of his own castle and that women were on the same, so or not on the same social status as men. And so nobody is happy. Nobody is secure around Nabal. His own kids are afraid to be around him. Whenever he comes home, he comes into the house barking orders and demanding things. And he, he never does help clean up. He never contributes to the chores. He would never stoop to help with the dishes. He never had an encouraging word for the children. He is there for one reason, and that is to be served. And in this home, there's a woman named Abigail. And she is everything that her husband is not. She is described as beautiful in countenance, but don't you know she is as beautiful on the inside as she was on the outside. And any man would be fortunate to have a woman like Abigail. She is the only ray of hope and cheer inside of that home. I would imagine that she kept the house clean and that she took care of the kids and she made sure that everybody had clean clothes and she was a good cook. And in spite of the rude, insulting, demeaning treatment from her husband, she did it all with a brave smile on her face just to protect the children. She is trapped in a terrible marriage, but it cannot make her a terrible person. She never allowed herself to become bitter or sullen or no matter what he did, there was no way that he could break her. And if you met her out in town or out in public, you'd never guess that there was anything wrong in the home. You've seen women that were just so full of dignity and grace and class. That was Abigail. I cannot imagine what she had to endure every day. He probably called her stupid and said she wasn't worth much. Probably shamed her for not having the perfect figure, made her feel bad by comparing her to other women. He may have even abused her physically, certainly he did emotionally. And I have no idea how that she survived it, but she was a strong woman. And Nabal really should have thanked God every day for her because she was the best thing in his life, but Nabal was a fool is what he was. But in this story, there's a king named David. He's not a king yet, but he has been anointed by Samuel. There is a usurper on the throne at this time, but everybody in Israel knew that David would one day sit on the throne. At least everybody should know this. And this king wants to meet Nabal. You see, David has made great favors for Nabal, and now he has a favor to ask of him. And wouldn't you think that it would be an honor for Nabal to meet the man who is one day going to become the king? Because you don't get that chance every day. In fact, some people never get a chance to meet the king. But Nabal is a wicked man, but what an honor that the king wants to meet him. And whatever that king wants, Nabal surely would be glad to do it for him. Because how often does a king ask you for a favor? And surely whatever the king wants, whatever you give him is going to come back to you multiplied times. You see, this king has been rejected by Saul and he's been rejected by most towns. And all that he's looking for is for somebody to receive him. He is looking for somebody to show kindness to him. And it will be repaid greatly when he becomes king. And so he comes to Nabal. He's not asking for much. 
a little water, a little food, a little bit of bread, a little bit of meat. And it's not like that he's asking Nabal for half his farm or everything that he owned. And it's really not going to cost Nabal anything to honor the king. Because the king has been behind the scenes for a long time. He's been helping Nabal. His men have helped tend to his flocks and they protected his servants from robbers. And the king has been kind to Nabal. And now it is time for Nabal to be kind to the king. So the king sends messengers to Nabal. And here is the message in verse 6. Peace. Peace be to thee. Peace be to thine own house. Peace be unto all that thou hast. Nabal doesn't deserve peace, but the message that David has for him is peace. We have shown kindness to you. We have helped you. We have been a wall to you between you and your enemies. Peace. And verse number nine, Nabal answers. Or verse number 10, who is David? Who is, who is this king named David? He's not my king. I don't know him anything. Well, why, why should I give him anything that I, I have hurt so hard for and saved in my business? I, I don't know him anything. What, what an arrogant reply. What, what, what a stupid response. In fact, Nabal will live to hate the day that he ever uttered those words. He can't even acknowledge that the king lives, much less return the favors that he has given him. And when the messengers come back to David and they relay the message to the king, David is angry and rightly so. And what this king does is he gathers 400 men. He tells them to gird their swords on and we're going to go to this wicked man and we are going to deliver justice. I have been good to him. I have kept his servants alive. I protected his farm. He would not have what he has without me and it has all been in vain and now judgment is determined upon this man and David has come with peace but this time he's coming with a sword. And Nabal doesn't know it, but sudden death and destruction is heading his way. He is partying and he's living the good life, but that good life is about to end because he has no idea that there is a king on his way even now with a sword strapped to his side. And who should come out to meet that king? Well, it ought to be Nabal. Nabal ought to come out there and fall on his face and beg for forgiveness. And Nabal should send some servants with some gifts and some offerings of peace. But you know who comes out to meet that king? It's that woman Abigail. And Nabal didn't send her and he probably would have laughed at her if he knew that she went. But she heard about the reports and she knew that David was the king. She has great understanding. It serves her well here. And she knows that that king is coming with a sword and that Nabal is about to die. And here stands a stupid, arrogant, rebellious man defying a king who's about to wipe him out. And here comes that woman to meet the king. And the only reason why Nabal didn't die that day is because that woman. And Nabal owes his life to Abigail. There is an entire household that is saved today because of that woman. And she intercedes for Nabal. She risks her life. She makes a great sacrifice for somebody that doesn't deserve it. And she puts herself between the king and Nabal and she begs for mercy. Nabal deserves everything that David's bringing. For how you have lived, for how you've treated your wife, for how you've treated your servants for disregarding the king, for rejecting the message of peace. 
And Abigail really would not be blamed for just getting out of the way and letting David take care of him. Her life would be a whole lot better without Nabal in it. Why don't you just let judgment fall? But Abigail comes out there and she bows before the king. And here's what she says. Don't judge him, king. He's a fool. He doesn't know what he's doing, but let me go back and talk to him. Maybe I can talk to him and talk some sense into him. Maybe I can show him the error of his ways. Maybe I, I can talk to him. If you just have mercy, just let him live. Besides, when you do become king, you'll be glad you did because there's more glory in saving a man than killing him. So I say, Nabal, you have no idea what you have in that woman. You, you, would, have, you would have been dead if it hadn't been her. And what you should have done is you should have been kind to her and you should have respected her and you should have spent more time with her. And because of that army, because of that woman, David stops his army. He turns around, he goes away and judgment is held back. 400 men put their swords back up and David is going to let this man live and give him a chance to correct his ways. He's going to go the mercy route instead of judgment all because of that woman named Abigail. You know, this world is a wicked place. You could say that it's churlish and evil in its doings. And, and, and if you could see this world as a Christian, you'd recognize that it's wicked and it's vile and it's ungrateful. We sing this world, it's not my home, and how could it be the way that it's going? Have you ever noticed that nobody's really happy in this world? So much fighting and bickering and selfishness and misery. It's the way of Nabal. And in the midst of this wicked, churlish, evil world, God has placed his church. The world hardly recognizes our existence. And when they do it, it's to call us names and to mock us. And, and just like Nabal, this world has no idea the blessing that the church is to it. No idea what the church really means to this world. This church is everything that the world is not. She has to exist in the midst of madness and cruelty and an obnoxious and a selfish and an evil world, but it never does change the church. She never gets sullen. She never gets bitter. Nothing can break her. And if you meet her, she's so full of class and dignity and grace. You can't imagine what she's been through all of these centuries. You can open up Fox's Book of Mur Martyrs. You can read the abuse that the church has received from the hand of the world. We can read about the persecutions of pagan Rome and then papal Rome. And even today, the church is called stupid and, and ridiculed and, and mocked. And, and you have to wonder, how many storms can the church weather? How can she still be standing after all that she's had to bear and endure and put up with and not just survive, but be singing and happy and have a song, have a bright outlook on life. How's that woman doing that? I'm going to tell you, the world ought to be thankful for this church. The best thing that ever happened to this world was for the church to be amongst it. They ought to be thankful. They ought to be kind to her. They ought to respect her. I'm telling you, even though they don't know God, they ought to fall on their knees and look up to heaven and say, God, I want to thank you for the church. I don't go. I may not believe everything, but she's had a great influence. She's been a sword and light. Thank you for this church. And what the world ought to do is the world ought to be thankful and acknowledge that there is a king named Jesus Christ who's coming back to this earth one day to rule on a throne. There's a usurper that will be on the throne, but everybody ought to know that Jesus is the true king and he will be on the throne one of these days. But as evil as this world is, isn't it a marvelous thing 
how that the king hasn't treated this wicked world so kindly. The king comes calling on a vile world and wicked men are given chance to pay homage to the coming king. And only on this planet is that high honor paid that a king wants to meet you and receive your worship and make you part of his glorious kingdom. This king was rejected the first time that he came and all that he's looking is for somebody to receive him. He's looking for somebody to show kindness to him. And if the world would do it, it'd be repaid a thousand times when he becomes the king. And who does he come to but to the worst men like Nabal? And what the world does not recognize is that this king has been behind, been behind the scenes for a long time helping this old world out. The world curses God when the storms come through. But if they can see how many storms that God held back from this world, the world curses God when a loved one dies. But it's a miracle we're not all dead. And he gives us food and he doesn't charge us for the natural resources and the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. And he's good to the just and the unjust. He's been good to this world and this world ought to be kind to him. So you know what he did one day? He sent a messenger of peace. That's what he did. The blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, that's a message of peace. Psalm 22, that's a message of peace. Isaiah 53, that's a message of peace. Zechariah chapter 12, that is a message of peace. I tell you, Jesus in the New Testament, that's a message of peace. That babe in the Bethlehem, that's a message of peace. That cross and that blood, that empty tomb, that is a message of peace, peace, peace. And, and do you know how this world responds to that message of peace? I don't know a king named Jesus. He ain't my king. Well, why should I give him anything? He ain't give anything to me. Don't want him in my school, and I don't want him in our government. He's not welcome in our society. What a stupid response. I'm telling you, what a foolish way to disrespect the king. Here's the reason why. Because one of these days, that king is coming back to this world. When he comes back, he's not coming back with a message of peace. He's coming back with an army, and he's coming back with a sword. He's been good to this world. He's protected it. He's made it for his own pleasure, and it seems to be all in vain. And now judgment is determined upon it. This world will party tonight like there's no tomorrow and like there's no God. But just over the horizon, there is a king coming with a flaming sword, and the world has no idea that the good life is about to end and the king is coming. But do you know who is standing before the king even now begging him to show mercy? It's the church. She knows the king is coming. She knows that judgment is determined. She knows that the king is strapping on his sword. She knows it's about to end. You know what the church does? She goes into the prisons and preaches to the worst of the men that you can have peace. She goes into the ghetto, picks up little children, brings them to Sunday school and tells them that you can have peace. And she builds orphanages around the world and she builds hospitals and she builds shelters and she builds children homes and she builds rescue missions and she sends families off to foreign lands to say that there's a message of peace and we give, our, we give our money and we give our children and we give our wealth and we give our comforts and we're standing before the king and saying, just peace, peace. The church will get together and get on their knees before this king and they'll beg him for another day of mercy. And she intercedes for a wicked man. And she makes great sacrifice for a man that don't deserve it. She stands between that king and that wicked world, and she says, God, would you save my lost loved ones? Yes. 
Oh, King, would you send some missionaries to the foreign lands? Oh, King, would you have mercy? They don't know what they're doing, Lord. Oh, would you have mercy? And in reality, you couldn't blame the church if she just got out of the way. Just bring on the judgment. Because for sure, our life would be a whole lot better without it. But she gets on her face and she intercedes. Lord, he's a fool. He don't know what he's doing. But Lord, would you, would you just let me talk to him? Maybe I can get him to see the air of his ways. Lord, Lord, would you have mercy? Because when you do become the king, you'll be glad. There's more glory in saving a man than killing him. You know what the prayer of Abigail did for Nabal? It gave him 10 more days to live. And every day is a chance for him to make amends with that king. This world ought to love and respect her more because it's the prayers of God that have shown mercy. Every day that the sun rises for wicked men is a day for him to make amends with the king. There's not many days left, but there's a few. This world ought to look up to heaven and cry out in repentance and thank God for the church that prayed for him. Nabal, you've got 10 days. You know what Nabal did with those 10 days? He blew it. And he died. When Nabal died, that king dispatched servants to Abigail to bring her to him. And Abigail became the wife of David. Nabal wouldn't treat her right. David will. Nabal disrespected her and made her life miserable, but David is going to love her and bring honor to her. She had a hard life under Nabal, but I promise you, she's going to have a happy life under David. You know what will happen? You know what will happen one day to the church when that king comes back? We're going to become the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus Christ. We're going to be married to the heavenly bridegroom. We're moving to a mansion beyond the skies. And the world may disrespect the church now, but wait till the king comes back. I'm done. I'm done. In Proverbs 31, in Proverbs 31, there's a tribute given to a great woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. It is a king praising that woman in that chapter. And I can't help but when I read that chapter that I think about a king that's going to get a wife and how he's going to praise her and he's going to ravish her with love and adoration, how she'll be such a beautiful bride. And in Proverbs 31 and verse 10 it says, who can find a virtuous woman? We don't look like it right now, but one day, one day the church will be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. The wife of the lamb will be dressed in white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. The Bible says that her price is far above rubies. You couldn't even buy with rubies. We're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb without spot or blemish. Proverbs 31 and verse 20 says that she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's got compassion for others and she helps and the church has a history of that. And the Bible says that her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also and he praises her. He sits in a place and he praises that woman and one day he's going to sit on the throne and he's going to praise that woman I 
understand it is fashionable to get you a blog or Twitter and criticize the church and, and pick sermons apart and slander the preacher and mock old time preaching, but you are criticizing the bride of the king. I love you preachers in here. There's not a one of you that I wouldn't break fellowship with on a heartbeat if you slandered my wife. We are not going to be friends and we might even become enemies. I love my wife and if you want to be my friend, then she comes with the package and I wouldn't be too quick to criticize and slander and belittle the bride of Jesus Christ. Thank God tonight that I'm part of the church and the world ought to respect us, but it's not going to. But the king is coming one day and we'll become the bride of the lamb. So just keep interceding for sinners. Keep standing before the king and praying and keep supporting missionaries and sending a message of peace. Stay strong in this wicked world and be a vessel of grace and pray for Nabal for God to convert him to Christ. Keep giving him money and keep sending our children. Keep building in churches. Keep falling on our face in prayer because I tell you tonight that the king is coming and he's coming for us tonight. I'm done. I'm done. Jubilees. Jubilees almost over. I've shouted and I've cried. I've been to the altar 17 times. I quit things I wasn't even doing. I've, um, I've given all my money. I'm flat broke. And just a little bit, we're all going to get in our cars. And either tonight or tomorrow, we're going home. And Sunday morning, you're going to walk into some church. Now listen to me. And there's going to be preachers standing in that pulpit. And you have no idea the pressures that's on him the burdens and the heavy heart that he carries in that pulpit, you're not going to know it. And he's going to stand there and he's going to preach and he's pour his heart out. And he's probably preaching nobody ever heard it before. Nobody will know his name. But he's God's man. Amen. And if you've got a preacher tonight, you've got to fall on your face before God and say, God, thank you for my preacher. For every time he offended me, Every time he comforted me, thank you for my preacher. He's got a wife at home that weeps and you'll never know the tears that she cries. You, you, I'm telling you, you'll never know the hurts that she just has to carry. You got to get on your face tonight. Say, God, strengthen her. Give her grace. If you've got a church tonight, that's a good church. You got to get on your face tonight. So God, thank you for my church. Because this year, the devil's going to throw everything in his arsenal against that church. He's going to attack the music. He's going to attack the standards. He's going to attack the man of God. Even now, there could be whisperings and murmurings of dissatisfaction. You ought to tell that preacher, preacher, I don't care what happens. I'm behind you. I got your back. You ought to let him know if everybody leaves, I'm there. In fact, if your preacher's here tonight, you ought to go to him and hug his neck. Thank you for being my preacher. Here's the reason why. Because some of you sitting in this room used to be a Nabal. You were churlish and you were evil in your doings. And the way that you disrespected the king, he should have come with a sword a long time ago. 
But that woman met on a Wednesday night at a prayer meeting. She said, church, would you pray for John? God give him some grace. Church, would you pray for my children that God would save them? And here you are tonight in this church, in this place with your family. It's called that woman, our Heavenly Father. I thank you for the church tonight. Thank you for every preacher that you put in my life and how they've impacted and influenced my life. Thank you for the precious people of our church, how they've supported me and helped me. I pray tonight for every preacher in this room, every pastor, every evangelist, every missionary trying to get to a field. I pray tonight for every preacher's wife. I know the pressures and the pains and the hurts that she just has to swallow and just carry. And I pray that you strengthen her tonight. For that preacher tonight that's in a church that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, I pray that somehow this year you just give him handfuls on purpose just to encourage him, just to keep him in the game. I pray that you'd strengthen our churches. Oh, how this wicked world needs us. We're not looking for our respect. We're not looking for our honor. That'll come down the road. But you, would you help us? Just keep standing before the king. You see, king, just have mercy. Just send another missionary. Take my child. Send him to the field. There'll be more, more glory in saving men than killing him. God, honor your church tonight. Bless your church tonight. If you need to come tonight, the altar's open. Summer coming tonight. Obey the Lord tonight. There was made by man Built with frail and human hands That an enemy can scale And get to you But there's one protecting me From my greatest enemy it's a wall that Satan can't break through. Sometimes a wall of grace, sometimes a wall of faith. Other times it's sweet mercy that I Instead for me and pray a fortress round me strong that can't be moved. And I promise you today when I bow my knees to pray, I'll do my best to build a wall of prayer. 
surrounding me. Oh, my brother, when I'm weak, would you stand instead for me and pray a fortress around me strong that can't be moved? And I promise you today, when I bow my knees to pray, I'll do my best to be Other times it's sweet. 